Alright, so good, it is Good Friday this morning and uh, we've come together. It's a special time to come together uh, as uh, believers. And I must say, and I must be true, and say that Good Friday um, wasn't always this type of day for me. Far from it. Um, for me, Good Friday was just another day off. And I'm sure that there are many that are um, enjoying the pleasures of having a day off or a long weekend, whatever you want, want to call it this morning. And um, for me, that's what it was. And, and especially uh, before in, in Northern Ireland, it used to be, uh, for me, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, I'll not fight through, I'll not fight through. I'll give you a minute. I'll not fight through. Bless her. There's always one that takes one for the team, isn't there? You get treasures in heaven, treasures in heaven, you will. Bless her. Yeah, you know, it's great. You, you think about that. There's so many churches this morning won't have that problem. Won't have that problem. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. The blessing's left, so it's a temporary blessing. That's fine. We're okay. <laughs> but it is a blessing. It is a blessing. Um, so, yeah, Good Friday. For me, it was just, just an, it was another day. It was a day off. And, you know, growing up in Northern Ireland, the lifestyle I was leading, this weekend was, was, a, was a special weekend for me because it was a party weekend. It was a, you know, we were off on the Friday and we would go out and we would be out and then Easter Monday was, was the climax of the entire weekend's worth of, of drinking and whatever else that we, we were doing. And, and that's what it was. And, and, you know, it was a day that meant really nothing from a spiritual uh, significance for me. I had no spiritual regard for it whatsoever. Now, I knew that churchy people, the day kind of came together and they celebrated the day that the, the, their uh, figurehead died upon a cross in Calvary and then they called it Good Friday and for me that bemused me it perplexed me why would they ever call it Good Friday if it's going to have a name surely it should be Bad Friday if your leader the one you look upon the one that is 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 the pinnacle of your movement shall we say um, is crucified and hung upon a cross and tortured and beaten and mocked and all that there surely there's nothing good about that it's it's Bad Friday and uh, or brutal Friday, maybe that's a better name for it because the crucifixion was brutal, absolutely br- brutal. Um, you know, and I used to think about Christians that would come together to celebrate this and think, you know, what kind of twisted people are they to celebrate such a death? Now, that's the way I used to be. That's where my thinking used to be, and, and I'm sure you can resonate with that this morning. You know, we were uh, all sinners uh, at one point, saved by grace, I hope, and I pray. If you're not, the throne of grace is open even still. But something happened, something changed. What happened? Well, I got saved. I got born again. I came to God understanding that, that really the only explanation for everything that we see around us, the order, the emotion, the logic, creation, is a creator God. And, and, and if that creator God had created us, then surely he would reveal himself to us in a more specific way. And, and the Bible is that. That's God revealing himself to man in a more specific way. And surely he would go further than that. And he did in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can see that in, in him and in his word. And I began to look and I, and, I, and I got saved. I came to the Lord in repentance and faith. I knew there was nothing I could do. I knew that I was guilty before God. That's the easy bit. It's the easy bit. Because you just look at your own heart. You know, this, this whole concept where people think they're good people, they just aren't looking hard enough. They aren't looking hard enough. 
There's not a human being alive who is truly a good person when it comes to God's standards. Not one of us. Not one of us hasn't lied, hasn't cheated, hasn't thought things that we would be horrified if other people knew. Horrified at the depth of the depravity of our own hearts. And God has seen that from our very birth every single day. And there's none of us that are good. And I, and I knew that. And then, you know, the next bit comes, well, if I'm guilty, you know, I deserve punishment. And then I started to look and see, and, and I was, the gospel was shared with me. And then I started to understand that, you know, the punishment was due, and there was no way out of that punishment, humanly speaking. And that's why God had to do what he did. And send his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he did. And, and, you know, praise be to God. I cried out to him. He heard me. He saved me. The scales come off my eyes. And I started to see the world for what it was. And then I started to see what good Friday was. And why it was indeed a good, good day. Because God did what no man could do. He paid for the sins of the world upon Calvary's cross. And as a born-again believer, I, I, you know, I was amazed by that. I knew I was guilty. I knew, and, you know, and again, from my background, I didn't have to think too far of the things. I didn't even have to look to my thought life. My actions have me condemned, condemned, condemned in the lifestyle I was leading. So I understood it was guilty. I understood that God had stepped in. But you know what perplexed me then? Why? Why would he do that? For me? For you? This is God. Why would he do that? He didn't need to do that. He could have just wiped us all out. Started again. Stuck with the angels. If you sing his praises for eternity. But he didn't. He looked at his special creation. Humanity. Whom he created to be in fellowship with him. And his heart was broken because of the separation. And the God who created the universe. Stepped into time. To repair that broken way. And he did that for us. For us. And I couldn't understand why God would do that for me. I knew I was guilty. I knew I needed punishment. But why would he step in for me? I had done nothing for him other than blaspheme him, curse him, mock him, doubt him, run about like man was the greatest thing in the entire universe and there was nothing greater and that me Kevin Cowdery had worked out all the secrets of the universe that I had destroyed Christianity with my amazing thinking and I looked at God and said you're a nonsense you're a nonsense you don't exist you don't exist but that same God who is outside of time and seen all that stepped into time and went to Calvary's cross despite of us and our behaviour and our attitudes and our sin so you know things became clear and the more I studied the more I seen 
The more I studied the word of God, the more God revealed. And that's the way it goes. He showed me why he came. He showed me his love and his compassion and his patience. He showed me his mercy. And he showed me why he needed to come. See, many will try and come up with another way. Another way to, to have eternal life. Another way for the next life. But there was no other way. That's why God had to do it. His way. Because it was the only way. And what a way it was. And that's what we look at today as we think about Good Friday. And I want to think about the way that was made. And I don't want to take us beyond the veil this morning. Because the way was made. And with that way, we have eternal life. We have new life. But also we have great responsibility. We have great privilege. And as we think about this this morning, I hope that I can draw out some of the the privilege that was achieved all those years ago when the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life on Calvary's cross for sinners such as us. Turn with me this morning to Exodus chapter 26. Exodus 26. Exodus chapter 26 and verse number 31. Here we are at the tabernacle, the first, well, first uh, fixture that God dwelt in, or his presence was, was manifest all the way back in the desert after the people come out of uh, Egypt. Verse 31 says this, And thou shalt make a veil of blue, and purple and scarlet and of fine twined linen of cunning work with cherubim shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of acacia wood uh, overlaid with gold. The hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And you shall hang up uh, the veil under the tashes that thou mayest bring hither in, within the veil the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy So here we are in Exodus, we're at the the tabernacle. These are the instructions that are being laid down from God for the tabernacle. And and many of you here will be familiar with the tabernacle. And the tabernacle itself, this tent in the wilderness, this place of the presence, this place of worship where they would go to worship God. Because what's happened here in the history of, of the Israelites is that they've been delivered out of Egypt. And the Passover and tomorrow, though for those of us that are attending the Cedar Meal, we'll go through and we'll remember that as they remember that when they do in the Passover meal, that they were delivered, that the Passover lamb was sacrificed, the blood was put on the lintel, and they were delivered out. And, and one, this is a little side note, but I've seen this during the week, just talking about that, and I thought it was a lovely thought, that, that God passed over because of the blood and the lintel, not because of the people inside. <coughs> It wasn't their behavior, it wasn't their actions, it wasn't their good hearts that God passed them over. It was the blood that was applied. And that's the very same for us today as believers. It's nothing we've done. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves us. But in the, in the, in the tabernacle, it was, um, 
Within the court, it was divided into the holy place, and that's where the presence of God dwelt. We call that the Shekinah glory. That's the kind of term for it. It's the uh, manifestation of God's presence, a brightness and a glory. And that was, that was separated from, uh, the, the, that was the most holy place, and that was separated from the holy place. And what separated it was this veil, this great curtain that we've looked at here. This is the veil of separation, as it were. And it was to separate God's presence from, from the people. And there was a very good reason for that. There was a very good reason for that, because no man could look upon God and live. Such was his glory. And there was a special arrangement, and we'll look at that as we go through. But it's this veil that I want to look at this morning and have uh, just a a few points. We're not going to be hugely long, I hope, but we'll have a look. And and the first thing I want to uh, just unpack a little bit for you when we, as regards to this this curtain, this veil, is the placement of the curtain. And and as I've said, it served a very specific purpose within the tabernacle at the end of verse 33 there in Exodus 26. It says, the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. So the holy place, the priests could go, and they could go there at any time. Now, only the priests, only the Levitical priests could go into the holy place. But they could go there at any time, and every day they were there, and they were attending through the the ritual service, the Levitical system that was set up um, for them to worship their God. Because what happens in Leviticus is that they are given... A way of worship. They come out of Egypt and they have seen uh, the Egyptians worshiping their false gods. They come out of Egypt and they've, they've, they've lost all form of formalized worship. And God lays down for them specific ways that they are to come to him. It's, it's how they are to worship him and worship him his way. And, and the tabernacle is a beautiful uh, picture of that. But this feel, as I've said, they could come into the holy place. But only the high priest could go in to the most holy place. And he could only go in once a year, Day of Atonement. And he had to go through blood, blood applied, the blood of an animal. But only him, and once a year, could he go in. Uh, the word for veil in Hebrew is paraket, and it means to separate. And that's what, what was happening. It was a separation between the holy place and the most holy place. And, um, you know, the place itself needed to be separated. So turn to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16, because it was the place where God's presence dwelt, and you just couldn't go into God's presence uh, willy-nilly. Leviticus 16, verse 2, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat. So this is the most holy place. This is the place where the Ark of the Covenant uh, was. This is the place where the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence of God was. And only the high priest, he couldn't come in at all times, he could only go in once. Why? That he die not, for I will peer in the cloud upon the mercy seat. So the high priest, and only the high priest, could go in there. And, and we find, when we look through Leviticus, that he could only go in there once a year. So if he went in outside of that time, he would die. Anybody else that went in would die. It was only the high priest once a year that could go in, and he had to go in through a blood offering that was offered for the people. He was the representative of the high people, of the nation, of the people, and he represented the people before God, and him and only him went in once a year. If he violated those things in any way, he would die 
instantly. Instantly. So the placement of the curtain is placed specifically and it is set there and described and and the details are given by God, the measurements and everything to make it and put it there to protect the people but also to keep them out. And it was a separator. It was a divider. That's what the word means in, in Hebrew, to separate. It separated God from man. Although God was there, there was still separation. And the only way for man to access God was one man once a year, through the blood of another. The curtain was a divider. That was its ministry. It was to be a barrier between God and man, shutting God in and keeping man out. So the curtain of the veil, the placement of the curtain, is placed between God and man. So next I want to think about the provision of Christ. And this is where we're going with this, really. We've looked at the placement of the curtain, but I want to look at the provision through Christ. Turn to Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter number 9. I would say to you at this point that you cannot truly understand the book of Hebrews unless you understand the book of Leviticus. They are parallel books. can't understand the new until you fully understand the old. That's why Leviticus is important. You may want to skip past it in your reading. You may go, oh no, not Leviticus. Let's get past this. We're in the New Testament. We're the church. No, you need it. And when you, when you read Leviticus and go through it, and we're going to have a look at this in our studies sometime uh, towards the end of this year probably, as we look at the tabernacle and all, everything in there, you'll see uh, how Hebrews is, is just beautiful when it's put beside it but Hebrews 9 verse 22 because you know we as I've said that the high priest could come and he could come once a year and he had to come through blood that's why animals were used for blood sacrifice in the old testament economy Hebrews 9 verse 22 and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood there is no remission so under the old testament law The veil was in place and the access to God's presence, as I've said, had to be through the blood of an animal. And that blood was shed and it was shed as a representation. It took uh, for the people and the high priest went in there as a representative for the nation. And uh, the animal was was shed as per the instructions in the Levitical law. Now when we get to the New Testament, we know that Christ is indeed our Passover lamb. The Bible's clear about that. Turn to Revelation 13, verse 8. Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's what it says here, Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Christ was our Lamb. 1 Corinthians, verse 5. Or chapter 5, verse 7, sorry, says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So we have this Old Testament economy where we have the blood of animals that is sacrificed and it's used at this time to go into the presence of God. Now we want to think about uh, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. We want to think about the blood of Christ. And, you know, what's the difference between these two? Is there a difference? Absolutely there is. But what is that difference? 
Well, simply, Hebrews 10, let's get back into Hebrews 10, verse 4. And this is what the writer of Hebrews, whoever you think that might be, is unpacking. He's taking the Hebrew reader to the old, the thing that they were familiar with, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies once a year after the sacrificial uh, animal had been slaughtered, the blood had been sprinkled. Hebrews 10 verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Now this is in the same context that we've read in Hebrews 9 verse 22. Which says almost all things by the law are purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. Then we get on to this part where the writer says. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. So he's building on this point that there can be no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. But actually it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. And so the Hebrew reader is, is reflecting upon the Old Testament system and everything that goes on there where the high priest comes in and all the Levitical law and all the rituals that, that Judaism has. And he's thinking about this. And, and, and if, if, if the blood of goats and bulls cannot take away sins, what was going on in the Old Testament? What was the point of it? Well, simply that the blood that was shed of an animal nature simply appeased but didn't fully satisfy God. It was a picture. It was a type. It was a shadow of the lamb that was to come, of the blood that was to come. And the blood of animals didn't take away sin. It covered over sin. It was a rolling sacrifice that had to continually happen. It was like, you know, I'd bring this into modern analogy and for, for those of you that have a credit card, it's paying the interest every month. You're appeasing them, but you haven't settled the debt. And you pay it, next month the interest is back, you pay it, they leave you alone. But the debt isn't settled. And you could go on and on for the rest of your length. Rolling it over, rolling it over, rolling it over. And that's what was happening in the Old Testament system. But when Christ came, and when he went to the most holy place, the blood that he offered wasn't the blood of animals. It was his very own. Hebrews 9 verse 11. Hebrews 9 verse 11. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not built with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So here the writer of Hebrews is saying it's not the tabernacle that was in the wilderness. That tabernacle was patterned from heaven. God gave the instructions for that. And the writer says Christ comes as a high priest, using the picture analogy from the old, he says he comes to a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, so it wasn't an earthly building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once. If you've got a pen or a highlighter, make sure that's highlighted in your scriptures. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Those two words, once and eternal, and probably us should be highlighted in your scripture. 
See, Christ didn't come offering the blood of bulls and goats. He didn't come the way the high priest in the Old Testament would come once a year and appease God and then have to keep doing it every year, paying the interest but not settling the debt. But the Lord Jesus Christ, when he presents himself before God in that uh, holy place in the heavens, it's his own blood, it's his sinless blood, it's his perfect blood that he presents before the heavenly Father. You see, the old system required repetition. On and on it went. It rolled round and it rolled round and it rolled round. But Christ entered once into the holy place, obtaining eternal redemption. He didn't pay the interest. He settled the debt once for all forever. Done. Done. So Christ is our high priest. He, he comes into the heavenlies. He offers his own blood. And if you turn to uh, verse 25 of Hebrews 9. It says, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then he must often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, again, there's a repetition there. In the end of the world, end of the age, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. See, Christ made a way when there was no way. The placement of the curtain was to separate us from the presence of the glory of God because we could not look upon him. And the high priest went in once a year with the blood of an animal that appeased but never fully satisfied. The interest was paid but the debt wasn't settled. But the provision in Christ is freedom through his grace. And Christ doesn't have to do this again and again and again. He's done it once. He's done it for eternity. His work is done. See, the priests in the Old Testament system were never done. Never done. The fire of the altar burned continuously. Animal after animal was sacrificed in the rituals. The work was never done. When you went into the, the, the court of the tabernacle and, and you went in uh, to the outer court, there were no seats there. When, in, when you went into the holy place, no seats. Because the priest's work was never done. When they were there, they were working. They were on their feet in this rolling system of sacrifice. But Christ's priestly ministry is different. Hebrews 10, verse 11. And you can see why. Reading Leviticus and reading Hebrews together will really help you with this. Hebrews 10 verse 11. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Every priest standeth daily, but the Lord Jesus Christ sat down. Why did he sit down? Because the work was finished. The work was finished. That's why he had to come. Because there was no human high priest that could finish the work. 
There was no man that was good enough to finish the work. There was no man that was acceptable in God's eyes to finish the work. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why he was born of the Virgin Mary. So he didn't inherit the sin nature passed down from Adam. That he was perfect in all his ways, in all his thoughts, in all his deeds, in all his actions. That he could be the perfect spotless lamb of God that was sacrificed. That when he offered his blood, it was acceptable before the Father. The Father accepted it. He ratified it. Salvation was available to all those that would come free forever. For those that would come understanding that they're sinners needing saved by grace. And then the Lord sits down. It's done. It's finished. That's the provision we have through Christ. Yes, there was a placement of the curtain, but there's provision through Christ. And that leads us to our final point, and we'll wrap this up. This is the privilege of the Christian. Because now, as a believer, somebody that knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, things change. Look at Matthew 27. We'll go there quickly. Matthew 27, verses 50 to 51. See, there was a change upon the cross. Matthew 27, verse 50. It says, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, shielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two uh, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks did rent. The veil that was there, remember the temple was patterned after the tabernacle. So you still had the holy place and the most holy place. You still had the veil. And this veil, it said in Jewish tradition, took up to 300 of the priests to lift and and hold in the place. Such was the weight of it and the thickness of it. And this is not some shabby little curtain. This is a a very high uh, curtain, very thick uh, curtain. It was a separator and it needed to do its job. And the veil's torn in two from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. God did this. God did this. Because the veil is torn in two, that barrier between God and man is ripped away for those that come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means for us that we can come boldly. Let's go to Hebrews again, chapter number four. You know it well. But I want you to understand this morning just the privilege that we have Hebrews 4 and verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. What privilege we have. Because the high priest in the Old Testament system, remember it was only him, and it was once a year. And I can tell you now, without being there, without knowing any of them personally, But knowing enough about Judaism and knowing enough about the Old Testament system and knowing exactly what went on there, that that high priest in no way came boldly into the most holy place. He came with fear, terror, at the presence of God, the weight of the responsibility, the fact that he might not make it out alive. He came with trembling. But for the believer, for those of us that are here this morning that know him as Savior, we can come into that most holy place. Not once a year, not on appointment, not through some ritual, but simply through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ 
offered once for all, for eternity, we can come to the throne of grace anytime we like, boldly. Not trembling, not in fear for our lives, with reverence, yes. But we shouldn't be afraid. We should run to the arms of our Heavenly Father. And we can do that anytime. And I can tell you now that if you were to bring the high priest from Leviticus, if you were to bring Aaron before us, if we could resurrect him from the dead, we can bring him out here and set him before us and say, Aaron, tell us all about how you would go into the holy place. And he would tell you with great awe and wonder and, and say, you know, the night before I couldn't sleep. I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't sleep because, you know, going into the presence of God as a wicked sinner such as me. And I know it was through the blood of animals, but God's wrath wasn't fully satisfied. And who knows whether I would have come out of there alive. It was the greatest privilege for me, but yet it was such a responsibility and such a weight that I probably would have given it to another if I could. And if I was to say to him, well, Aaron, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Let me share uh, how I approach the throne. I come boldly. I come boldly as a child of God. Sins fully forgiven forever. I'll be like, what? Well, 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 do that once a year? No, I can, I can do it whenever I want. In fact, I can do it right now. And Aaron would sit there and he would be bemused. He would be perplexed. But if I was to say to him, what would you have? Would you rather have your system or would you rather have what the Lord Jesus Christ offers? What would you prefer to do? To go before your heavenly father as a heavenly father anytime you wanted, boldly. Knowing that he loves you. Knowing that he wants the best for you. Knowing that you can rest in his presence forevermore without fear of death. Aaron, knowing what he would know after his death, would bite your hand off for that privilege. He would bite your hand off for it. Every one of those Jews would swap what they had, knowing what they know now, would swap it in a heartbeat. For what the believer has today. Here's the thing. What we have. Our privilege. As a Christian. The placement of the curtain was there. It was a separator. But the provision in Christ has torn that away. We now have the privilege. To do this. And to live for Christ. And be in that relationship with God. And yet we cast it aside. Like it's nothing. Like it's nothing. If Aaron had the access we had, I'm sure he would spend every day in the presence of God. A presence that he'd been kept from. A presence that he'd been separated from. A presence that he could only enter in once a year with fear of his life. But yet we have this. The way has been made. We can go beyond the veil boldly and that is privilege brethren it is privilege how often do we all step over that privilege like it's nothing and it costs nothing it costs the Lord everything to remove that veil and maybe you're here this morning and you've never come to Lord Jesus Christ Effectively, that spiritual veil is still up for you. 
You've no access to God. You've no access to God. Your spirit is dead. That's what the Bible says. You're dead in trespasses and sins. You're two-thirds alive. Your body, your soul, your spirit's dead. And the only way to gain access to God is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can do that this morning. But for the believer, and I want to focus on you as we close this morning. I'm me, myself. I count myself in this. Is that the veil was torn in two. It was pulled down by the work of God on Calvary's cross. The beating... The humiliation, the blood that was shed, the body that was broken was all done so that we could enter in to fellowship with God, fellowship that was broken. The veil was taken away that we could go beyond it. But how many of us have put our own veils up in our lives? How many of us have put the veil of career that's kept us from where we should be with God? How many have put the veil of family up and it's kept us from where we should be with God? How many have put the veil of laziness, the veil of deceit, the veil of pride, the veil of self-worth, whatever it is, our ability is, is always found, our greatest ability in our sin nature, I find, is always found in trying to reverse what God has done. That there was only one way for the veil to come down, but we find many ways to try and put it back up. And the God that we have access to, the God that we're to come boldly to, we keep away from. And we separate ourselves once again. Now, I'm thankful, I am so thankful for the eternal grace and security of God that no matter what false fields we put up, God will never let the believer go. Understand that this morning. Your salvation is secure. But I wonder, as we think about what was done, as we think about what was done so we could go beyond the veil, I wonder this morning, are you convicted about what you've done to build up a veil? that separates you from God and what God has for you and where you should be. I know we all do it. We all do it. Good Friday is a time to remember that the veil was torn in two and that we can go beyond it. And what a privilege that is for the believer. Let's not forgo the privilege that cost God everything to give us and build a veil again when we should have nothing between us and the Lord. Let's pray.